Welcome to Infection and Immunity, Evidence Explained, a Doherty Institute podcast. I'm Rebecca Elliott, and in this episode of our series all about COVID-19, the virus, variants and vaccines, we're going to take a deep dive into wastewater testing for COVID-19 surveillance, its origins, why it's used, and exactly what it can tell us. Today, our guest is Associate Professor Bruce Thorley. He's the head of the National Enterovirus Reference Laboratory and the World Health Organization Polio Regional Reference Laboratory at the Doherty Institute. He's Chief Investigator for Australia's National Polio Surveillance Program, which includes wastewater testing. Bruce is also involved in the COVID-19 Wastewater Surveillance Program here in Victoria, which is a collaboration with the Victorian Government Department of Health, Melbourne Water, Australian Laboratory Services, the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute, Monash University and the University of Melbourne. Bruce, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Rebecca. Now, before we get into COVID-19 wastewater testing discussion, I'd love to give our listeners a little bit of a background. How has wastewater testing been used in disease surveillance in the past? As far back as the late 1940s, uh, environmental surveillance uh, for wastewater testing was done um, with sewage using uh, what was called a, a Moore's swab. So it was using some gauze attached literally to a piece of string and then just left in the sewage pipe for a few days um, and then collected and, and tested. Uh, at that time it was uh, for bacteria, um, but then later it was also used for viral detection. And how does it actually work? So, as I said, the, the, the Moore's swab was just a piece of gauze um, but it's also been used to uh, try a grab sample. So that is where just a, a, a bucket it could be or a sample is taken from a, um, some sewage. Um, and you can also have a composite sample and that's where you could take a small volume and take it uh, at regular intervals and then you build up a, a larger volume. But all of these are then tested in the laboratory for a specific pathogen of interest. Now you work specifically on polio. How is wastewater testing used globally for polio control? Uh, yes, polio virus is spread mainly by faecal-oral infection, uh, and so people might have a, a throat infection and then the virus makes its way to the gut and can be shed in the faeces, usually for um, four to six weeks. Uh, so early on, with the advent of uh, cell culture techniques to grow viruses in the 1950s, and then also the development of the um, polio virus vaccines, in the 1950s and 60s, uh, testing of sewage was uh, first done to try and show uh, whether uh, they, it could be detected in sewage and then how it related to clinical cases that, that were known to be in the community. Um, and that proved to be uh, quite sensitive. And also then in Europe in the 1980s and 1990s, there were examples in Finland and the Netherlands when wild poliovirus was actually detected in sewage prior to um, the clinical cases uh, during a polio outbreak was actually detected. Um, and with the uh, establishment of the Global Polio Eradication Initiative uh, from the WHO from 1988, uh, the sewage surveillance has now been added to the clinical surveillance as a sensitive way of monitoring countries, either for the wild poliovirus or even if they're polio-free. Um, so it's now to the point where there's more than 30 countries and uh, 5,000 sites where sewage is regularly taken and um, tested for poliovirus. 
And we've also done that in Australia too. Um, we've been polio-free um, since the year 2000 along with the Western Pacific region and we no longer uh, use the Sabin oral polio vaccine, which is a live virus um, can be, that can be detected in sewage. Um, and we first started testing um, in 2010 in regional New South Wales and since 2014 in metropolitan Melbourne. And uh, even though most of our samples are negative, then that sort of adds evidence to our polio-free status. Um, and also we have detected some of the live oral vaccine in the sewage in Australia. And so that's evidence of people who have probably visited from overseas or returned travellers who may have uh, received the polio vaccine uh, while overseas in, in a country that still uses the oral vaccine. So it, it proves to be sensitive um, and able to monitor uh, areas either for ongoing transmission or um, evidence of being polio-free. Is it, in fact, an effective way to detect and control infectious disease outbreaks? I think there's a good example for poliovirus um, that was demonstrated in Israel where they have very high levels of uh, polio vaccine coverage but they use the sulk-inactivated polio vaccine, and that is very good at providing protection from the virus by producing antibodies in your, your bloodstream and preventing uh, paralysis. Um, but it doesn't give you a high level of immunity in your gut, so you can actually still get an infectious infection of the virus in your gut and shed it in stools. And it seemed uh, from doing ongoing sewage surveillance in Israel for many years, they started to detect wild poliovirus in the sewage in 2013. And when they then looked for any missed clinical cases, they didn't find any. Um, but they were kept being able to detect it in sewage. And then they did um, stool surveys and found that there were people who were infected. It was mainly involving the Bedouin community and mainly children um, and just with the, the living conditions where there was more at risk of spread of the virus. Um, but there were never any clinical cases, but they found in Israel the only way to then stop the outbreak of wild poliovirus that had been introduced was to reintroduce the live attenuated Sabin vaccine, um, and they had to uh, do that before they were able to actually stop the outbreak. So I think it really shows that there can be a real role for environmental surveillance for pathogens. How much did that wastewater testing program play a role in the PNG outbreak in 2018? Uh, so that um, did supplement the clinical surveillance. It will always be you know, clinical surveillance is the main means of um, looking for cases and, and uh, showing that the outbreak has uh, been completed. But the uh, sewage surveillance supplemented uh, that clinical surveillance in Papua New Guinea um, and was able to show... Um, that one, once you have established and you can detect it, and then if you can then have samples after that time that remain negative, it'll add to your confidence that um, the area is polio-free. Um, most poliovirus infections are asymptomatic, uh, so that's where you know, it's estimated only less than 1% of infections will result in paralysis, um, and it's also more than 90% or around 90% of infections may be asymptomatic, so um, you can detect poliovirus in sewage in the absence of clinical cases, and that was shown overseas, such as like in India, 
when there was still had wild poliovirus, mainly in two northern states of Uttar Pradesh and Bihar, um, and there were no clinical cases in the city of Mumbai, but it was being detected um, in the sewage. And when they sequenced the viruses, they could show that they were from uh, known uh, viruses circulating in those two endemic states. So, so it does uh, supplement and complement the uh, clinical surveillance. Okay, so on to COVID-19 wastewater testing. Can you tell us a little bit about the Victorian program and your involvement? Yes, so there's been a a national uh, program established called Colossus, a collaboration on uh, sewage surveillance for uh, COVID-19. And at the Victorian level, um, it's been mainly being performed uh, by the Australian Laboratory Services, or ALS, and also the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute and Monash University for the characterisation of the, uh, the samples. But uh, early on, along with our other collaborators, we wanted to just compare some of the different methods, um, such as the poliovirus sewage surveillance method, which is relying on cell culture because we, there are so many different types of enterovirus related to poliovirus that we need a sensitive method to actually be able to grow poliovirus, so it relies on culture. Um, unfortunately, that's laborious and um, isn't really able to be scaled up to the point of like our current pandemic situation for COVID testing. So there needed to be test development for more direct detection of sewage samples. And that's with the uh, collaboration that we have in Victoria. Uh, we were able to look at some of comparing some of the methods uh, for their sensitivity and also their um, specificity. And at Vidral too, we uh, early on in the outbreak, uh, an actual clinical specimen was used to grow the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, and that was done in the viral identification laboratory by Dr. Julian Drus's lab. And they've then been able to um, inactivate that virus by gamma radiation. And we've been able to then use that as a means of spiking sewage and to gain better understanding of how sensitive the technique is. And that gamma radiated material has also been supplied to other labs for test development and... and um, ongoing uh, testing procedures. So can you um, tell us a little bit about those procedures? How is the wastewater actually collected and then tested? Uh, In Victoria, there's about uh, 70 metropolitan sites and about 50 uh, sites in the regional areas that are being used. And it could be um, either through a grab sample, um, as I described before, of uh, literally just taking, uh, collecting like a litre at a time, uh, for testing, or there can be the composite sample where it might just be um, a small, you know, like a um, half a cup of uh, sewage that is taken and then it's, uh, say, every hour and then after 12 hours that composite sample is tested. Um, and there's also been um, some trialling of what's called passive samplers uh, developed um, at Monash University where they go back to the idea of like the Moore swab where they're left within the sewage for a period of time and then Uh, They have some membranes within this uh, plastic structure that they can then test. Um, And all of these different types of testing has proved to be sensitive um, and that they are taken at regular um, areas around the metropolitan area and the state. Um, And new sites are sometimes introduced um, as an outbreak or a clinical case may occur, then the uh, sewage surveillance can then supplement the clinical surveillance to see, well, 
is there actually how, how widespread maybe are cases in that area? And how important do you think it's actually been in, in the surveillance program for COVID-19 in Australia? I think the, the sewage surveillance for COVID has proved to be important and you know, it's demonstrated that it's uh, something that people may not have thought about before, that uh, it could actually be a, a sensitive means of being able to detect either um, an unknown, an area where there may be unknown cases, um, um, or also it could be that it's, the, it's more extensive than, than uh, known. Um, we probably aren't at the point where you can just detect one person who's infected in sewage surveillance, but if you do get a high-level detection um, and if you get it prolonged, then it's probably evidence that there's a number of people who are infected. But if you only knew of actually one or two clinical cases who, who actually reside in that area and that may be... Um, responsible for the shedding of the virus, but you then get a high test result, then it might be evidence that there's actually more cases um, present within that, that uh, particular catchment, sewage catchment. And so that's where I think the, the publicity um, is really helpful to then remind people about if you have any types of uh, um, symptoms, uh, if it is just a sore throat, if it is a cough, you know, don't just think, well, it's probably not going to be COVID. Um, it's a reminder to then go and get tested specifically for COVID. And is there any way of telling whether the positive that you pick up in the wastewater is an active case or someone shedding the virus who may not be infectious? Uh, we can't tell um, at the moment. I mean, certainly with what we can detect, uh, we can differentiate between the variants. Uh, so with the sequencing, we are able to get a, an idea of whether it, which variant it might be. But... Would it really be on how strong is the result uh, that comes from the sewage sample that we then try to correlate that might, how many people there might be actually infected? So it's really um, how strong is the result and how long do we, how often are we detecting it in repeat samples? And if it is an area that had been negative and there's no clinical cases and then we had a positive uh, sample, then we would then go back to test more frequently just to see, well, is it just a one-off? Maybe it was someone who just happened to be um, passing through that area and they are just shedding um, after a period of being infectious, but they, they're no longer infectious from their respiratory or their, any, their throat or anywhere. But if that is then detected in repeat samples, then that would be another reason to then go and publicise about the need for people to be tested. Does Victoria or any other state in, in Australia run any wastewater surveillance programs for anything outside of COVID-19? The, there is another enteric virus uh, called norovirus, which is uh, responsible for a lot of uh, symptoms of gastroenteritis, so diarrhoea and vomiting. Uh, there has been some sewage surveillance done, done for norovirus. Um, there's also the Global Sewage Surveillance Project, which is based in Denmark, um, and that has been mainly used for looking for antibiotic-resistant bacteria, which, and that was initiated in uh, 2016. Um, but also, people may have heard about that there has been some surveillance for uh, drugs in sewage to get an idea of actually, well, what narcotics uh, are being used and how extensive are they. So sewage has you know, proved to be a sample that could be used for a number of different reasons. What lessons can we learn from COVID-19 wastewater surveillance? I think the lessons have been similar to like what we have uh, now for poliovirus surveillance, um, that 
it can be used to test in areas where um, you suspect that there might be uh, at risk of infections and you may not be picking them up um, from clinical cases. So by being able to then test in sewage, you can then show whether the area is free of, of that particular virus or not. And I think with the ongoing negative results, it does give us confidence that not only with clinical surveillance, but we're not detecting it through environmental surveillance. So it, it adds confidence to an area being free of what you're looking for. Thank you so much for joining us, Bruce. It really is a fascinating topic. You're welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. The Doherty Institute is a joint venture between the University of Melbourne and the Royal Melbourne Hospital. We would love it if you could please rate and view our podcast. And if you'd like to find out more about the Institute's work, please visit our website, doherty.edu.au, and subscribe to our newsletter. Finally, if there is something you'd particularly like us to dive into on this podcast, let us know by emailing doherty-media at unimelb.edu.au. Thanks for listening to Infection and Immunity, Evidence Explained. Bye for now.